0: Welcome to Come Along for the Ride, where we make the world a better place for horses. I'm your host, Tracy Malone. I was born on the country of the Wiradjuri people, and this podcast is brought to you from my home in the Sanford Valley, in the northwest of Brisbane, Australia. I'd like to acknowledge the Turrbal and Yuggera people, the traditional custodians of this land on which this podcast is made, and where my family and horses live and gather. I'd like to recognize their connection to land, water community, and our sacred animals. I am grateful to Elders, past, present, and emerging, for keeping this sacred land here in Sanford safe and protected throughout many tens of thousands of years. I have great pride to live on country where the oldest known human beings tended to this land. I'm also grateful that you have taken the time to choose this podcast at this very moment. Thank you for being a part of the global change we are making to the welfare and training of horses. If you'd like to support the podcast and all the work that I do, then you can. Just head on over to patreon.com slash come along for the ride podcast and sign up from as little as a cup of coffee a month. You can help me keep this podcast going. There are many tiers that you can choose from. And if everyone who listens gave only $5 a month, it would make a massive positive difference to me. There's a tier in there for small business subscription, just like the one Peter Papp took up from Peter and the Herd. This is the one where your business gets a mention each podcast. Peter works with equine behaviour and trauma recovery and equine communication, human and horse relationship building. Peter has actually had communication with my Mayor Gypsy, who's the one you see in the podcast picture with me, and he was spot on about everything. So I can highly recommend his work personally. You'll find the links to Peter's work in the show notes. I'd like to say a huge thank you to our newest Patreon subscriber, Victoria Bradshaw. It means the world to me that you have taken the step to financially support the podcast, so thank you. In this episode, I speak with Cara from Musgrave Equestrian. Kara is a trainer who found her way due to her horse, Ben, having EPM, a neurological disease in horses, which she talks a lot more about in the podcast. Kara is a wealth of knowledge and found a combination of positive reinforcement, movement games and choice all came together to make up a wonderful program that she teaches online. Not just for people who want to rehab their horses, for general training and strength of a horse. It's a wonderful program. This is another great story of how one horse changes the way a trainer works and opens their world to a whole new and more connected way of training. I hope you enjoy this one as much as I did. Here is Kara. Kara, thank you so much for joining me on the show today.
1: Yeah, thanks for inviting me on. I'm really excited to be here.
0: Yeah, it's been a long time coming. It's great to finally speak to you. Can you first tell us a little bit about what it is that you do?
1: So I am a horse trainer slash coach, and I do basically everything online, but my goal is to help horses and their humans create joy in movement through positive reinforcement. Wonderful. What that basically means is I use reward-based training to help, um, horses, people teach their horses how to move better and feel better.
0: I love it because it's not about the end goal is not a doing thing, is it? No, not always. It's not, I'd like to jump there, but they're, they're good goals to have, but it's, it's better to, um, for the horse, to, to make it joyful and, um, bit of movement. That's wonderful. Yes. Did you grow up with horses? How did it all begin for you?
1: So I'm one of those, like probably most of your listeners. Um, the first time I saw a horse, I was completely in love and, um, couldn't think or talk about anything but horses from the moment I knew what one was. Um, my parents are not horsey people but they um, they enrolled me in riding lessons when I was seven, and I just ate it up. I rode as much as I could. I worked and gained uh, trust of the barn owners so that I could school horses every day after school, and really any chance I could be out at the barn, I was out at the barn, and touching a horse or petting a horse or riding a horse or drawing horses. So, um, yeah, I did, I was really fortunate to be able to grow up doing that. Um, and then my parents who, um, still didn't really know a whole lot about horses kind of sight unseen bought an off the track thoroughbred for me um, when I was a sophomore in high school. Um, I think I could do a
0: a podcast just on that, none (laughs) of us that have done it is just extraordinary. Uh, Here's a list of things that a million of us have done wrong. If you'd like to listen to this and learn from it, please do. Yeah.
1: And it, I mean, it, looking back, knowing what I know now, um, and knowing who I was then, it could have gone so poorly, but he was just a, a, a complete gem. He Um, We had a little bit of a rough start, but once we kind of hit our stride and built our relationship a little bit, he was really incredible. He was two weeks fresh off the track. The only thing I'd really ridden before were quarter horses and like school horse pony type things. So he was my first big horse and um, yeah, he was honestly really incredible. We would ride alone together in the mountains. I grew up in North Carolina. Um, in the, in the mountains there. And um, he really took care of me. We had, we had a really great time.
0: Oh, you were so lucky. And did he, um, did he transition really easily into life with you from racing?
1: I think he did. I, I, there was definitely about a year transition that was challenging. Um, And I really, I didn't know, what I was doing honestly Uh, but somehow or another we kind of we just made our way and for me I was there all the time and I was consistent so I think even though I didn't know exactly what I was doing with him um, I think just that that consistency was something that really helped Um, and I did a lot of different things with him it wasn't just arena riding I did a lot of trail riding. I used to compete in Trek, which is an orienteering competition that's um, pretty big in Europe, but not very big over here. And I think, you know, that was, and he was really my best friend. So he was, you know, whether I was aware of it or not, there was a lot of relationship built in and it wasn't just me showing up and riding and leaving. And I think that probably helped inform that going as
0: well as it did (laughs) and he didn't have any traumas or anything off the track not that I was aware
1: of um looking back I have a feeling he probably had ulcers um but for most of the time that I had him he was able to be out 24 7 on pasture and live a pretty quiet life I didn't do a lot of showing or hauling and um you know, seeing I live in Kentucky now where every horse is a thoroughbred, and seeing how they are, I I feel like he was one of the better adjusted that I have worked with.
0: Yeah. So, I, I agree. And by the you sounds know, I of was, it.
1: I didn't know enough to look for that at that point. I think now I probably, if I was able to see my former self, would have, you know probably cringed at some of the stuff we did and how he was kept and handled. But, um, you know, I I think he had a good head on his shoulders and um, really took to a more relaxed lifestyle um, pretty well, so...
0: You were very lucky um, in terms of that because the amount that come off the track with traumas and, um, and issues and not even being able to leave the front gate because they're so terrified they're going back to the track. So you were very, very lucky. Yeah. And did you, your love for horses was there. Did you shift into horses after school?
1: Yes, so he because I had him, I ended up going to college in uh, Kentucky, and because I found a place where I could board him there really inexpensively and bring him to school with me. Um, And ultimately, I ended up staying, and that's where I am now in the the Lexington area. Um, And he came with me, I got a job out of college working for a nonprofit, uh, managing their equestrian program. So, oh, so what did you there. study? I studied communications, uh, leadership and had an equine minor. Wow. Yeah.
0: I want to go to so college.
1: <laughs> yeah, I did, um, experiential education. So like ropes course, um, working with groups, doing leadership training and and outdoors and things like that. Um, And so the facility that I got a job at specialized in that, but they also did it with horses, which was really unique and really amazing that I had the opportunity to work there.
0: Wow, I I totally want to go there. So you didn't (laughs) even have to transition back into horses like so many of us did. You got to have the flow straight on. You're able to tie it all in together
1: i yeah I had a year between where I um, worked for the the y m c a doing uh, after school care and using every penny to <laughs> try and keep my horse and not have to to sell him so I did have a little bit of a transition there, but um, it was only about a year and then I landed the job at the farm and I was able to bring um, him, uh, his name was Shatter, I was able to bring him with me to that farm, and he was there for about a year, and then he, he got a lameness that turned out to be a chronic thing that had been kind of, um, he had had surgery on it before, probably as a yearling, which is something they do a lot of preemptive surgeries on thoroughbreds, and it turned out to be something that kind of came back, and He was chronically lame after that. Um, Not not terrible, he was pasture sound, but um, his quality of life wasn't amazing after that happened. Um, And then about a week before Christmas, he actually had a really terrible colic and I didn't have the heart to put him or the money, honestly, to put him through surgery. Um, And I didn't think it was the responsible thing to do for him, so I had to say goodbye to him at that point. So I think I had him for about ten or eleven years. Wow! Um, but he was he was a really cool horse. Um, yeah, he got, he got me through a lot of tough times.
0: <laughs> yeah, and he also had the the best life after racing that he could ever have asked for. How beautiful! I hope so. Yeah, and. So you were using more traditional methods back at this stage. How did you yes. transition into positive reinforcement? How did that show up in your world?
1: So, yeah, I was definitely using just, you know, more traditional types of training. Um, I ended up buying a horse named Ben, who is a um, he's a paint draft cross and just just one of those horses that you don't see anything like him um just kind of a unique guy and he had a great personality he um belonged to a summer camp that I had worked for in the past and I just always kept him in the back of my mind so I reached out and to see if they still had him and ended up ultimately buying him from them and um he was just the most amazing horse um really my heart horse we um we did some eventing. He was in my lesson program that I was managing. We did vaulting with him. We did everything. Um, and then after I transitioned away from working at that farm and kind of had him on my own, he started, um, he started knocking down rails over fences, which was abnormal. He was a fantastic jumper and just would tear, tear up cross country, jump anything you put in front of him. Um, and then that turned into him crashing through jumps and then tripping and then not being able to hold a canter. And we ultimately realized that he had a, a neurological disease um, called EPM. Is that something that you guys have there in Australia?
0: We do, but can you explain okay. it a little bit for me?
1: So it's equine protozoal Um And it's Um, basically a protozoa that gets into their bloodstream and if it gets into their spinal cord um, as the protozoa die off it causes damage to the myelin which is the myelinitis part and um, that is uh, sheathing around your nerves so it causes nerves nerve damage similar to um people or horses that may have had a stroke or a a brain injury or a spinal cord injury, or, I mean, there's lots of diseases that cause neurological issues. Um, and this is just one of them. So, um, and here in the U S it's, um, horses get it from, uh, possum feces in their pasture and in their hay is the, is the main host. I think there are others, but that's kind of the main one. Um, and it's pr- pretty prevalent here where I am, unfortunately. Wow. So, yeah, so we, we treated him with the medication, but then that just stops the protozoa. Um, and then you're kind of left with um, all this, this nerve damage, and it can present in a lot of different ways. Um, my husband is a physical therapist, and he'd actually worked on um, the stroke and neurological rehab unit for a while. And so we worked together to come up with exercises and things to help rehabilitate him from the nerve damage that he had. And um, because the cool thing about nerves and muscles is when a horse loses or a human or any mammal, when you have nerve damage, um, they can regrow or others can kind of come alongside and kind of take over. Um, And muscles can do the same thing because the body is kind of amazing. Um, And so we came up with all these different exercises um, to help rehabilitate him. But the problem was he was fearful of movement because he felt unbalanced and didn't know where his legs were. And um, it became this thing where when I was relying on my old methods that I knew where you just keep adding pressure until they finally do whatever it is you're asking. Um, It was making things worse because it was introducing fear, um, fear of pain, fear of pressure um, to the scenario. And that was the opposite of what he needed. A horse getting over something like this needs to be in the most low stress environment possible. And so it was really frustrating because I knew that I could fix him if only I could Communicate with him how important it was for him to move and use his muscles and try to work through and rehab, um, like you would if you had a, a person, like a patient. You know, you can explain to them why these exercises are important, and they'd probably be motivated to do it. So that's when I stumbled upon um, positive reinforcement. I actually I found uh, an Instagram account at the time. It was in. And um, now it's, the account is Panther Flows. Uh, Kathy Sierra is an incredible um, trainer and just just a really, um, really amazing person when it comes to being uh, up on all the most modern movement science and, and applying it to horses.
0: Um, I love, love her work.
1: Yeah, so she was, she's been hugely influential in a lot of the things i had done and and what she was doing really backed up what i was doing but the piece that i did not have that she had was the positive reinforcement and once i started doing that it was it was night and day different instead of you know i remember times when i was almost in tears with my poor horse on a lunge line and I'm trying to get him just to step over a pole or try to step over a pole or walk up a hill or down a hill and you know upset because I I want him to get better but he's so afraid and I I didn't want to keep adding more and more pressure because that's I mean I could tell he was scared and it didn't feel right in my heart <laughs> to mm-hmm. do that and it wasn't working um And so once I, I remember getting the clicker and the first day going out there and it was just like the whole mindset changed, both my mindset and his mindset. It, it wasn't, it was no longer this like intense rescue mission where I felt like I was, um, just trying to like, hang on to the last threads of his mobility it became this like fun game every day I went out and he greeted me at the fence and he was so excited to play the next game and the next game and it it went from being this really painful process to just playing games and earning prizes and me seeing him his personality come back and and see um his eyes be bright and willing when before they had just been really, really dull and scared uh, for a long time. He had, he had a really, a really tough bout um, with the EPM. He's, he had a month where he was basically leaned over sideways um, when he was standing still. And then if he would move, would almost travel in circles. Um, So that turnaround was, just i mean it was night and day different and um, and was it instant his improvement physically wasn't instant but the mindset and his um, just his way of being was different
0: after the um, first session
1: yes yeah it was instead of us working against each other and me trying to just almost chase him to to into moving and and doing and exercising, it, it became this thing where he was like, okay, mom, what's next? What's the next game? What's the next challenge? Um, and the other nice thing about positive reinforcement is you're not, you're focusing, you're looking for the next good thing to mark and reward. And that changes your mindset too, when you're looking for the good, rather than trying to focus on what's going wrong, you're, you're focusing on what's going right. And that's a really important mindset shift I think for for the human as well um, because it it helps you be in a better in a better place Um, even if you know even if things aren't going great at the moment you can still always find the positive things to to mark and reward when you're working with your horse in that way
0: and his movement, yes, I agree with you. Just the, the mindset shift and having a horse that's shutting down to opening up is just the best thing ever. It just must have been such a joy to, to for both of you yes. in that moment. And tell me about his movement and how long it took. And do you think the movement for him was painful at all when he was learning, relearning and, and reshaping his nerves and muscles?
1: Um, it's, you know, it's kind of hard to say the thing
0: about the way
1: that I particularly use positive reinforcement is that I always offer choice, um, when I'm working on movement issues. And so, um, the horse has a choice, whether they're going to try to do the thing to earn the treat or they don't have to, um, And I think that helps inform how they're feeling. Um, Not to say that some horses won't push through pain and some might, but I think having that choice allows them to opt in or out. Um, And, you know, I, I don't think it's hard to know exactly what your horse is feeling, obviously, but I could tell by giving him choice and never, Never escalating pressure and always offering him, um, teaching him what I wanted him to do through positive reinforcement and, you know, tempting him to step over a pole or do a specific thing. I knew if he didn't want to, it was because he didn't feel safe enough to do it or, or it was maybe painful for him to do. Mm-hmm. And then I could, I could step it back and find, okay, well, what, what will you do? What can you do? if I put the pole on the ground or put it down two inches or, you know, maybe we can walk down a more gradual Hill. Um, And so it's hard to say, um, but I think when you offer the horse a choice, um, it, it gives them a voice, whether that voice is saying this hurts and I can't do it or, Um, I don't want to, or I don't feel safe. I think, I think that's really important when it comes to this work. Um, And as, as far as his physical development, um, he, we were able to regrow a lot of his muscle. He had a lot of muscle wasting, especially in his hind quarters. We were able to um, get him out of his his like chronic lean he had this lean to the left um he we were able to get him over that and he started moving again he went from where I didn't almost didn't feel safe turning him out to being rideable again um in about six months oh my goodness Um, and he was I wasn't perfect you know he he, he wasn't perfect. And I knew he probably wouldn't ever be perfect um, with something like this when it's, when they have that big of a, of an issue um, there's always room for improvement. It doesn't mean that you'll get to perfection, but um, in
0: but also, many ways, there's I, a point I, where you want to saddle on and you want that extra weight because it helps to build as well. It's like the next level for yeah. him in his therapy too.
1: Yes. And that, and that was a big part of it. Um, because the, you know, the vet, after he had his treatment, the first thing he said to me was, well, dressage is really good for rehabbing a horse with EPF. And I'm here thinking, I can't even ride. What's the, what's the gap between where he is now and being able to do dressage. Um, and so that's kind of all of that stuff working together with, my husband and troubleshooting and and working with him and seeing what worked and what didn't and seeing what things improved him and helped him. Um, All of of those things were really starting. We were really starting to get some incredible momentum and he was really starting to get so much better and so much stronger. Um, And I had glimpses of the, the old horse um, before before the EPM. Um, and then about, I think two years after his initial diagnosis, he, um, he got cast out in the field and died in the night, um, really suddenly. Um, and that, that was really hard because he was getting better and I knew I was onto something and, I mean, we had worked so hard to. I mean, every day, I was out there helping. You know, doing rehab, doing things to just get him stronger, and feel better, and move better. And it was it was really starting to work. Um, and so, that was really challenging. But and did
0: you ever find out why?
1: Um, he he either lay down or fell down next to a tree and just got he got stuck. It was a really muddy, muddy, rainy night. Um and it was there's this one area. He's out in a 30 acre field with about 10 other horses. Mm -hmm. Um and there's a, a really lovely stand of trees along one side of the field and they hang out over there for shelter from the rain a lot of times. So I don't know if he tripped on a root and fell down or if he lay down to roll or to sleep, um, and just couldn't get back up. And, um, when the farm manager found him that morning, he had already passed away. So that was, that was a really, really tough week. Um, and that was about a year and a half ago, I believe. Um, it's so hard
0: with having horses, isn't it? You you do oh, your best and there's so much out of your control. There's yeah. just you cannot wrap them in cotton wool. You cannot
1: no, hold on we. that time. And
0: nor should we. Definitely yeah. not. Not advocating for so, that ever.
1: Yeah. Mm. So the the thing about that is I think had he had that not happened and I would have just continued what I was doing. And do his rehab and just keep going with that. Um, but when I lost him, it really kind of lit a fire under me to take all the information and all the techniques that I had been working on. And um, my husband and I were actually going to co-write a book together. That was um, what, we, what we were, we'd been talking about doing with all this information. And then Um, one thing led to another and I ended up instead just creating an online course. Um, It's, it's interactive because I didn't feel that I could hand off a book to someone. There's so much nuance when it comes to a horse and a human together. Um, I wanted it to be interactive so that I could help people with modifications because not every horse is going to take to the same things the same way, and not every human is going to be able to take to the same things the same way. Um, We're all so different, so that's, I ultimately ended up developing um, an online course that has videos and written information, but it's also um, takes place partially on, in a Facebook group, so there can be, people can post videos of their own and get feedback and, and modifications, and I can help tweak exercises and, and things like that. Um, and I just, I launched that right before, um, right in, uh, March, I believe right before COVID hit over here, um, this of this year. So, um, so that,
0: yeah, (laughs) (laughs) for some businesses it can, um, it can set it off. And for some businesses it and did you have big shutdowns where you are? We we did um, for a long time.
1: Yes, we were. We had things closed down for about two months. Um, mm. Kentucky was one of the more aggressive states when it comes to shutting things down. Um, but and a lot of people couldn't even go out to their barns. But um,
0: yeah, a I, lot of people who couldn't get to horses.
1: Yeah. I'm fortunate that my horses are at a private farm just outside of town. Um, and I'm basically the only person there other than the the barn owner that lives on site. Um, so it, the one thing that I will say about, um, COVID is that it made the idea of online horse coaching, um, not such a crazy thing.
0: Yeah. Totally <laughs> so normal it, now.
1: Right. And none of my students are, were local anyway. So it really, it didn't matter in that respect. Some of them were not able to work with their horses. Um, so I was, I extended the course several months beyond what it was going to be because of that. Um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, I launched in, it's called Mastering Movement. Um, and I launched back in March and then I just opened another round, um, mid-October of. Just now just this
0: week so fantastic yeah. and how's it looking now? more easy, kept- more easily adopted for people and, and easier easier to get out there
1: yes I think um, I think it is I've had a lot of people come to the course with a positive reinforcement background, but not all of them and I wanted this to be something that it wasn't for, it didn't have to be someone who was strictly positive reinforcement, because I know there are a lot of people who are in a place that I was in several years ago who would do anything to help, help fix their horse. Um, and even if they continued to ride and operate in a more traditional way, this keeping this, all this stuff is groundwork, um, for the most part keeping that separate and doing it in the positive reinforcement way would still have huge benefits, even if you rode and, and trained and did all your other things in a more traditional way. And the thing that I found, because in order for me to get my course online, I had to take horses through it. Um, and I um, had a, I got him as a yearling. He's four and a half now. Um, I took him through it. To get a lot of my videos. I have a, an off the track thoroughbred that um, my farm owner owns, but I work with almost exclusively. And I've taken both of them through it. Neither of them had neurological issues, but um, my young horse was, I got him just halter broken um, when he arrived. So that was kind of his ground up training. And it got him strong enough for me to um back him with no problems i started sitting on him when he turned four so last end of last march um and he was strong enough and fit enough that me gradually sitting on him and then eventually riding was no more strange than anything else i'd asked him to do um with the positive reinforcement so um and then the thoroughbred that I work with is—he um, had had kind of a year off because he had almost like a chronic, often on colicking, chronic digestive issues, lost a lot of um, fitness, a lot of muscle, a lot of weight, and so I was kind of, kind of bringing him back from that a little bit, and um, have been able to see an incredible transformation in him just in his movement and his his top line and his muscle and his attitude um through using my program so it's been really neat to take a variety of horses through it because it's not just for a neurological horse Um, it really is helps any horse from wherever they are and just helps them be have a stronger core and be more agile Um, so
0: I did see a video on your um, social media where you were doing crunches with your horse recently. Yes. And that was from, um, from the saddle as well. It looked amazing.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, that was probably Finnick. He's, he's my, he's a draft cross, but he's very small. (laughs) He was supposed to be my big horse. Um, But he he loves his crunches and he will offer them all the time, which I am 100% fine with because anything to to support his his spine and build his core um, is good with me.
0: And you taught that from the ground and then went took it into saddle? It looks um, – because it's so obvious. Sometimes you're looking at crunches, you're going, I think that was a crunch. (laughs) This one is very clear crunches. He's very, very, very good at it.
1: He's, um, he really loves his training. Um, he, he's the horse that will stand at the gate offering all kinds of things to get your attention so that you will, um,
0: play with him. <laughs> and how do you manage enthusiastic. that? Do you just keep, keep doing it with him? And does he get more and more or do you have to manage that somehow?
1: I manage it with routine. I, show up at the farm and bring him in and feed him right away and then he either gets to eat hay in his stall for a while or go out and graze in one of our smaller paddocks um, until I'm ready to work with him and then by the time you know I work with him till he kind of decides he's done most of the time usually he loses interest before I do Um, so
0: and how long is that usually
1: it honestly depends on what we're working on. Um he really loves the high energy stuff. Um not so much some of the more technical, more training stuff, which isn't isn't stuff that I'm really that I really cover in my program, but you know, things like steering and backing. Yeah. <laughs> and you know, the basic baby uh more behavioral things, but any of the movement stuff he is just really keen to to do and try and and do bigger and better and he's he's incredibly athletic and was a really fabulous mover long before I ever sat on him um which you know i think because i was able to develop him so much from the ground i think that's that's part of why that is
0: and so how long for each session so between what time and what time does, can he stay engaged?
1: Typically I'd say around 15 minutes, sometimes shorter, sometimes longer. Sometimes I'll take him out into the paddock and he just wants to nibble grass and not pay attention to me at all. (laughs) So, um, but yeah, typically I would say 10 to 10 to 20 minutes at a time. And a lot of times I will kind of ping pong back and forth between different horses to work on something for five or ten minutes give them a break go do something else and then kind of come back a lot of them enjoy that a lot
0: gives the process time too doesn't it
1: yes with Finnick too I'll often um, switch what I'm working on we'll kind of we'll do something for five minutes and then do something different because his attention span isn't quite as long as um, Rocco the thoroughbred that I work with he he takes a lot more time to process things. So we it tends to take about five or 10 minutes for him to get warmed up and get into the activity. And by then he's really uh, firing on all cylinders and ready to go um, and do it. So it really depends on the horse.
0: Yeah. And it's good as a horse person who is currently a little bit time poor to hear that you can do a lot in 10 to 15 minutes. You don't Absolutely. need to set aside hours or, or things in your day. It really can. You can just pop out and, and do a bit and come back in and and, and keep painting walls.
1: <laughs> yes. I. That's something I talk about a lot is that, you know, you don't have to have two hours to really help your horse move better and feel better. Um, I have a lot of activities that can be done in a stall or in a barn aisle. So you don't even have to, you know, have a big facility or if your horse is on stall rest or, you know, can't go out in a field at the moment, I'm, you know, I think there's always something that can be done, even if you don't have a lot of time or a lot of resources or, um, or things like that.
0: Beautiful. And have you, I know it's only been a year and a half, but is there another a heart horse in your life now?
1: Yes. Um, so Finnick, my, my husband, um, told me to look for a horse about a year before I lost Ben. I think, I think he knew that Ben would probably never be completely better to where I could ride him and not be concerned with every step he took. Um, and initially he said, you know, let's get a horse that you can teach lessons off of. So I was looking for a lesson horse. And then I found a yearling draft cross about five (laughs) hours away. (laughs) And I said, but look how cute he is. And sure enough, um, we had him shipped up here sight unseen. Um, because I, even if I went to see him, I couldn't ride him. Um, and that was around the time when I was starting the positive reinforcement with Ben. And I I wasn't gonna go that route with him because um, I initially thought, well, this is just for rehab. It's I'm not gonna spend time doing it with all the other things that I normally do with horses. And then he kind of turned out to be a little bit of a a headstrong kind of a bully. And I just, I saw the future of our relationship and i I knew it was just going to be me getting more and more aggressive with him in order to keep myself safe and and that's not why I have a horse mm. um, so I decided I was going to completely shift gears, completely let go of everything that I'd done before um, all the all the things I knew before and just kind of start from scratch and I have done, um, everything I've done with him has been with positive reinforcement. Um, I mean, with a few exceptions, obviously, sometimes I have to bring him to and from the barn and he wants to eat grass or, you know, Mm -hmm. he doesn't get a a hundred percent choice in everything. And I do have to use pressure occasionally, but um, the things that I have taught him and the things that, that I work on and show Um, on my different social media things, Um, everything I've done to get him to be fine with a rider and um, do all the things that he does has been through positive reinforcement. So, um, and he's, he's quite a, he's quite the beast. He's a, Mm -hmm. he's a little powerhouse.
0: And I think I want to make the point that you were saying is there's not a hundred percent choice, a hundred percent of the time. And that's really important for everyone to get into their head that you look, maybe some older horses and horses that you completely trust and have had for a long, lot of years. And, you know, the relationships there, sometimes you can, you can do that, but I, I just don't think it's possible with younger horses and when you're starting out in training, um, and the best way it was described to me was if you've got a two-year-old tantruming, do you hold their hand across cross the road or do you just let them choose if they want to cross the road? And um, that's where the, the choice comes out of it a little bit. And even though, you know, your, your example was different in that just when you're walking to training, you don't stop and eat the grass and things like that, I think it's important for everyone to know it doesn't have to be 100% one way and full choice. Um, because with that there's no boundaries and no safety for both of you so it's really important that you're very um, thoughtful about those things
1: yeah and I think some of it comes back to you know planning ahead as well I I do my best to set him up for success so that I I'm not having to put him into a situation where I have to use a lot of pressure you know I there comes a point where you do have to use pressure with the horse, um, at, at some point typically. Um, but if you can create a relationship and have a, um, a reinforcement history and just a, a good history with them that when you do have to use a little pressure, um, it's not going to be the end of the relationship. Yeah. And you know if if you can set them up for success and and do the work early um, and create a foundation to where you're not having to be in those situations as much, um, you can make it that much easier for you and your horse
0: yeah, but a little a little bit of pressure here and there's not the end of the world either It's really important that you don't beat yourself up if you need to use it here and
1: there right, right and I you know the Rocco the thoroughbred that I ride, he was trained very traditionally and I still more or less ride him in the traditional way. I will um, ask him to do some more effortful things that I will reward, um, use food rewards. And, you know, I try to not use um, escalating pressure. So I'll ask him with a a leg cue. um, And if he doesn't feel like doing it, I, you know, I'm not going to make a battle out of, out of it. He gets, he gets a lot of choice when I ride and People might not agree with that, but for me and the way that I want to work with my horses and enjoy riding and have them enjoy the process as well, that's, that's the, the agreement that we have yeah, um, it's and it great. works great for us. And yeah. he's, you know, I've seen him come out of his shell and just really just become a much happier better moving horse um because of that
0: mm. and is that how you manage a big personality like that because you say it's this is the one you're calling a beast um Rocco
1: is not the beast <laughs> Finnick. Rocco's Finnick is
0: the beast so Rocco... know I just want to hear a little bit more about how you manage that personality through positive reinforcement, because a lot of times that personality in positive reinforcement can become quite aggressive.
1: Yes, it absolutely can. So one thing that I had to do a lot with Finnick early on um, is I did a lot of working in protected contact. So that, that just means that there's something between you and the horse. So it allows for that separation. So he could do whatever he felt like he needed to do, um, whether it was, you know, galloping around or bucking or kicking. um, And I could be on the other side of the fence, um, influencing him from there. And then I didn't feel like I had to defend myself. Um, And then, and he didn't feel like um, he needed to defend himself or be afraid that I was going to, you know, smack him or yell at him because he got in my space. We, we each had our own space. Um, the other thing that's really important if you want to do positive reinforcement, especially with a, a horse like him, is you have to set really clear boundaries and have a really um, consistent context for how you feed them. And that's as easy as you know, having a marker signal, I use a, a mouth click um, and they, they only get food after that marker signal and you deliver in a really specific way. And for most positive reinforcement trainers, it is away from your body um, and you hold your hand out with your palm down. And when their mouth is closed and they're waiting patiently for the food, you'll turn your hand over and offer the food. Um, and just being really consistent with that, it, it teaches them impulse control. Um, and gives them a really clear context for how they get their food and when they're being, you know, when I'm working with him on the ground and he's getting, I actually work towards having him do effortful movement. So for some people, it might look like he's being bad or wild. Um, but I'll, I'll actually click for that as long as it's not directed towards me. Um,
0: it and takes that a lot of strength.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that click acts like almost like a an emergency break. The moment they hear that, they stop. And you'll even see in their facial expression, they, they calm down and kind of come back to uh like a quiet, um, more peaceful way of being, if that makes sense. So mm-hmm. it's instead of it being like a thing where he's just being aggressive and a bully i say go be wild and he's wild and then i click and then he comes back and so it gives him almost like an ebb and flow where he has an opportunity where he can do his thing and do what he wants and then i can also invite him to come
0: back and be quiet and get a reward um I hope that makes sense. It totally makes sense and it's um it's really wonderful because it's answered a lot of questions because my young horse she loves being up and um uh-huh. she finds it really hard to come down. So that's a really interesting one. I like it.
1: Yes. And I my comfort level working next to them when they are very up um I feel very comfortable working with them when they're displaying some of the more, um,
0: athletic things on the I ground. I do enjoy them as well. Yes.
1: Yeah. They are he beautiful. was doing canter transitions right next to me, which, um, or halt to canter transitions right next to me. And, you know, for a lot of people that might seem like a little unnerving. And if it is, you can absolutely step to the other side of a fence, just so you don't feel nervous about it. But for me, I, that's something that anytime he gives me energy, I reward it because he tends to be a little bit more low energy. Um, so that's something that, you know, depending on your comfort level, you can, you can make yourself feel more comfortable just by being on the other side of a fence or having a really specific context for when they do things. Mm -hmm. Um, I've taught Finnick to rear up on his hind legs because he used to offer to do that all the time. And now I have a cue for it. And when he does it on cue, he gets a reward and he doesn't do it when I don't ask now. So it's instead of me, you know, punishing him every time he reared up now I have a, a rear on cue and he doesn't do it when I don't want him to um so I think in a lot of ways you can just provide an outlet if you have a horse that's that's like him that's a little bit um can be a little bit uh physical <laughs> um providing an outlet and an appropriate time and place to do those things um can really help to I mean, just like a a child, if you told them to sit still all day long, they would get increasingly more agitated. But if you let them play and run, then they'll be ready to sit still um,
0: after. So Mm -hmm. that makes perfect sense. And how long did you work in protected contact with him?
1: Honestly, it, it kind of depended on the day. It wasn't a thing so you that would, I
0: did you would shift within a session mm-hmm. or just day to day
1: yeah uh, within a session if if I was working with him and he was starting to get um a little more aggressive or not really aggressive but just physical then I was yes that I was prepared for um or if I was you know just even afraid that he was gonna kick or stomp or run me over or whatever. I just pop to the outside of a fence. Um, and I kind of make that decision in the moment and, um, kind of go back and forth with him. You know, if, if I had a horse that was really food aggressive, that would be something I would do from the beginning. Um, and for a while, um, I fortunately did a lot of studying before I started the positive reinforcement with Finnick, because if I had not, I probably would have created a very food aggressive horse. Um, so, you know, I think it really just depends on the horse and the, and the human working with the horse. Um, but, and it, it doesn't always have to be a solid fence. A lot of times I work with, um, just like caution tape and, uh, stakes that step into the ground um, for like an electric fence, mm-hmm. and that can be enough to just create a little space. I also do a lot of my work is with um, target sticks. Um, so there's like a stick with a something on the end, and the thing on the end is what I want them to follow or chase or stomp on or whatever it is. And if you make them really long, you can create a lot of space between you and the horse. Mm-hmm. Um, And that's one of the ways that I feel a lot more comfortable doing some of the more um, energetic things on the ground with them.
0: Mm, Wonderful. I'm so glad we got deeper into that because it's a big one (laughs) in the horse world, people who, um, who put down... Positive reinforcement i'm like i'm i'm either or i'm choose what you like but don't blame the positive reinforcement for the issues if you've done it in the way that you know science has has proven all of these things and, and has little bits and pieces to to do and learn to to deal with every issue that you have so
1: yes there's there's a lot of nuance with it and i i think it's one of those things that if you know, it's something you want to embark on. Um, you should absolutely do as much research as you can. And, you know, there's so many trainers, myself included that do stuff online and do video coaching, um, to help people transition because it, if it's not done correctly and in specific contexts, it, you can really just like with any training method, you can kind of get yourself in trouble. Um, and again, that's that's part of why I wanted my online course not to just be a bunch of videos someone watches and then tries on their own. I have that interactive piece because I know that there's going to be someone um, that what I am telling them to do doesn't work exactly, but they just need a few modifications to, to help um, get around whatever issue they're having.
0: Mm which is a perfect segue into how do we find your course?
1: So I am at Um And the course is called Mastering Movement. It's on my website. Um, I'm also, I'm on basically all the socials at Musgrave Equestrian. Um, and yeah, the, the information about the course is on my website there, and it also has information about some of my private coaching that I do, as well as my, I have a training video library, so it's kind of like a subscription service if you wanted to just be a fly on the wall and see what I'm doing, and I do voiceovers so you can, I tell you why I'm doing what I'm doing and critique myself, <laughs> the good and the bad, um, so that's a neat, neat thing
0: too. Mm, Wonderful. And how long is the course? How long, how many bits are there to it?
1: The course lasts 10 weeks. I roll out a few videos. Um, There are eight weeks of videos and then I have two kind of catch up weeks in between um, to allow people to, to get caught up on things. Um, It is go at your own pace. You have access to all the videos and all the material Beyond the ten weeks but the the ten weeks is when you have access to me um, and getting help from me posting videos and photos and um, and to the group because it's a it 's a group thing as well um, so I think there are there are over twenty five instructional videos and those each come with written information. I have one to ten training skills so that people can um, kind of mark where their horse is and then come back and see their improvement um, because it's it's really hard when you see your horse every day to notice how they're doing when you see them every single day. Um, yes. And so it basically includes all the information I wish I had had when I was at the beginning of my rehab process. Um, so written information with progressions and tips and tricks and um, different ways to make the activity more challenging, less challenging, um, as well as all the videos and all the written information and videos are available to anyone that does the course, um, for as long as they have access to the internet. So, um, in that way, it is kind of go, go at your own pace. And then if people need more help, that's where the, the private coaching can come in. If, you know, if they're really stuck on something and need more than just a few, um, helpful, Hints uh, through the Facebook page, but um, yeah, I wanted to be available for support because it's, it's a tough thing to go through and there aren't a lot of answers out there for the everyday horse owner when it comes to this type of work.
0: Hmm. and it's nuanced and you need that bit of support instead of throwing it out you know if if you've always wanted to try it and then you think god I'm crap at this it's like well no you're not (laughs) you just need somebody from the outside watching because it's so much easier from the outside looking in and when you've got the the knowledge that you have just to be able to say oh just tweak that oh you've just Mm -hmm. you know you just missed that there just pop one extra thing in there and you can be yep. away again so it's not something to um to throw out just because it didn't work one time it's um it's something that can work it just needs a little bit of time and effort put into it
1: yes absolutely
0: and you you said this 10 week course has just started can people jump in now not really
1: yes we we started on monday so i'm not sure when this is coming out um when the podcast is coming out, it's coming out Wednesday. Okay. If there is someone listening that feels like they need to get in on this, you know, right now I do have a few spots left. Um, and they, they can get in touch with me. Also it's a Kara at dot com is my email. Um, that, you know, I could probably, uh, get you in might be a little bit of catch up to do, but like I said, you have access to the information, um, forever, basically. So that would be something, um, that I could, that we could do. Um, I launch right now I'm launching in the spring and in the fall, because a lot of people don't ride a lot over the winter. And, um, so unless you live in Queensland, right, (laughs) right. Um, And so they're, you know, it's, it's a great way to kind of get your horse back into shape before you start riding again. Um, and then I offer it in the fall because a lot of people want something to do through the the winter months when they're not riding as much, um, to keep their horses fit and in shape. But, um, so yeah, that's when I offer those, um, but it's great for any time of year. So even if it's uh, summer where you are, <laughs> it's still a yeah. good time. Yeah.
0: yeah, Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been great hearing your story and uh, what a wonderful story it is as well. But um, thanks most of all for everything you're doing for the horse world. It's so fantastic to have you as a part of the community. Yeah. Thanks so much for having me. This is great. I'm on a mission to create a community of conscious horse people so that their horses all over the world can live a better life. This is a big mission with a wonderful message and it needs your help. If you enjoy this podcast and would like to join me on my mission of making the world a better place for horses by bringing consciousness to the horse world, please do one of the following. You can go over to our Patreon page at patreon p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash come along for the ride podcast and become a subscriber to the show as patreon members you're helping this podcast become a weekly show once again and remember any funds that go over the cost of production will go into new and exciting projects that you as a subscriber will have a say in you could also pop over to edenriverequestrian.com And see our range of sustainable, ethical and organic gear for both horses and humans. Remember, 50% of profits go back to helping horses all over the world live a better life. Or you could leave us a review and tell the world why you love this podcast. You can do that through whichever app it is that you're listening now. The best place to do it is through iTunes. They give juice that gives other bits juice that... Boost the podcast up and basically that gets it into more people's ears so that we can make a real difference in the world. You could also share this podcast with a friend, tell everyone you know about it and guide them to an episode that you think they'd really enjoy. All the links you need can be found in the show notes. Thanks again for listening and I'll catch you next time on Come Along for the Ride.